the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, I've been wanting to interview this guy for a long time, and so I'm really glad he can join us. It's Guy Benson. Next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Well, if you follow social media, if you watch enough TV, you're bound to see Guy Benson somewhere because he is kind of everywhere. And I'm really glad he agreed to join our podcast, Sideline Sanity. Guy, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. I don't like to start interviews by kissing up, but you just seem to have, I call this Sideline Sanity and I like having sane people and you seem to have a level of sanity that is, is, uh, missing from a lot of corners these days. How are you with all the nuttiness in the world? (laughs) I don't have to detail it. How are you managing to stay level-headed and even-keeled, or are you? Barely managing. I'm doing my best. Uh, That's very nice of you to say, Michelle, and it's cool to be here. I've been a fan of yours for a long time. Back through many years, of course, when you were patrolling the sidelines uh, and just watching all those broadcasts, <clears throat> whether it's NBC or, or elsewhere. And if you don't mind, I just want to tell you a quick story that I think you'll like okay. uh, before we get into politics and some of the other stuff. Yeah. So my career ambition from maybe <clears throat> third or fourth grade through college was to be a sports broadcaster. Oh, my goodness. That was the goal. Uh, and I did it. I, I, My buddy and I did local high school sports, our high school sports on local access in New Jersey, football, (laughs) hockey, basketball, baseball, softball. Then I went to Northwestern and I was the sports director of our campus radio station, WNUR. And I did that for four years. I wasn't the director for four years, but I did WNUR sports for four years and called Big Ten football and basketball and lacrosse and all this stuff. I did four summers in the Cape Cod Baseball League, play-by-play for the Chatham A's. And one memory that I have shared before with people, but never with you, and I'm so excited to share with you, was when we would do football broadcast. This was at Northwestern, and we were either home or on the road, obviously, we would go. And there was typically a play-by-play man, which was my favorite position. I wanted to do play-by-play, but we would rotate through. So play-by-play, color, and then sidelines. And so one of my first ever football sideline assignments We were playing, Northwestern was at Wisconsin. So it was the Cats and the Badgers, Camp Randall. What a great venue, the jump around everything. But those fans, you know, they've been partying all morning and all day. And 
Some of them may have had a few adult beverages and so on and so forth. The student <laughs> section at Wisconsin is, is pretty rowdy. Yeah. And here I am on the sidelines and I'm wearing like my khaki pants, a jacket like this, a purple tie. So I'm not subtle about, you know, who I'm with here. Yeah. And I was getting heckled all game long by the student section at Wisconsin <laughs> whenever I would walk past. And there was one guy with a like particularly grating and loud and piercing voice Every time I walked past, he would call me Michelle Tafoya. <laughs> and the thing is, he thought he was like insulting me. Yeah. But in my mind, I'm like, thank you. Like, if, I am, if I'm Michelle Tafoying this thing right now, I'm doing a good job. And it oh. made me smile because it was a funny line. And like, he was definitely trolling me, but I yeah. actually kind of loved it. And it is. <laughs> real to be able to tell that story that I've recounted oh my before gosh. to you. So thanks for the opportunity and for Oh indulging. my God. That is an amazing, I feel like you and I now are bonded for life through that little, uh -huh. that story. The funny part about that, or one other angle to that is that my husband played baseball at the University of Minnesota. His dad coached at Minnesota, the, the football Gophers. team. He was the defensive coordinator for the Gopher football team. They hate Wisconsin. Oh, of course with, they do. You know that. That I mean, I, like the fact that this is almost red. Like I, <laughs> uh -oh. I, I'm not sure I want my husband to see me in this shirt today because it's my daughter grew up saying, "Ooh, red. That's icky badgers." So you know, it's that's that brings it's, it's it all. Not a full trophy circle. game. I forget. It's some. It's like a pig, or I forget what. Yes, There's the pig. Some trophy is it? It's the pig. Something Mark, like that. Do the gophers and badgers play for the pig. Oh, he's ignoring me. Okay. We'll there figure is, it out. There but is, you know what? I'll just do this. Um, back upstairs to you, Michelle. <laughs> if only I could have been upstairs more, but no, <laughs> I, I, it was, that is hilarious. I am so glad I know that story. I did not know any of that. I didn't dig into your background as well as I should have clearly guy, but t it's, it's funny now that we've made this transition you well ahead of me. So how did you transition away from wanting to do sports to, to what you're doing now. Yeah. So it was interesting. This was the whole goal, you know, getting after it, high school and college. Yeah. But I always had the political side of me as well. And I followed politics. I really got interested all the way back in 1996 when I was in middle school. It was the Dole Clinton election. And we had this assignment where we basically had to pick a side to fake work for a campaign. Oh. And I sort of did some research in my little 11 year old brain and thought, okay, I think I'm more with Bob Dole on this. Uh, the 2000 election was crazy with the recount and everything. Yeah. And I remember actually treating politics kind of like sports in that it's, it was like you have, you have a team and you wear the jersey and you root yeah. for them and you dislike yeah. the other team. And I think there are some parallels there, but my mindset started to change a little bit the next year, 9-11, 2001, where it wasn't both. so much just sports anymore and combatants, you know, for fun, it actually really mattered who was in yeah. charge, who yes. controlled the levers of power. Um, so I think that sort of deepened my seriousness about politics. Yeah. When I when I got to college, I interacted with a lot of very smart people who disagreed with me on a lot of things. So I had to really refine my thinking and test some of my assumptions and realized I was right on most things, I still think, but wrong <laughs> on some other things. And I mm -hmm. sort of uh, changed my views on, on a number of different issues or at least modulated or or modified some of my thoughts. And I was on this two-track thing. I did internships 
after I would do the Cape Cod Baseball League play-by-play for the summer season, Northwestern started late on the trimesters, it's like a quarter system, effectively trimesters. So I had this extra month and I was doing internships at Fox News back then for Hannity and Colm. So I, I loved that component of things. I did a right versus left debate show every week on our campus radio station while I was there. I would write occasional columns for the school newspaper. So I was highly into all of that, very political as well. And what it came down to, Michelle, and maybe you can relate to this, maybe not, I'm such a type A planning personality. I like to have every single thing lined up. And for my whole life, like almost from the womb, I felt like I was always dead set on the next thing and knew what was next for me and had a goal and would achieve it. When I was getting ready to be done in college, I really didn't know what was next. It was a very unsettling feeling for me. Was I going to go to grad school? Was I going to go pursue sports broadcasting or what? And I was sitting in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma at the Women's College World Series because Northwestern had made it that year. Um, I wasn't on, on the broadcast for that particular game. And I checked my email I, I almost said my phone, but we didn't get oh, right. phones yet because I'm, yeah. I'm old enough. Uh, <laughs> I checked my email on this laptop and I had gotten out of the blue an email from a Northwestern alum. I'd gotten sort of a, a seniors to watch profile in the alumni magazine. They picked like 12 of us and I was and I paid someone off and got in. Uh, <laughs> and this this Northwestern alum uh, was and still is the programming director of a major news talk radio station in Chicago. And he said, hey, I, I read your profile. I, I know that you're into sports, but also really into politics and talk radio. Would you have any interest in coming in? We have a, a producer position open. We'd love for you to come maybe interview for it. This is what the job would entail. And we know that your aspiration is not to be a producer. What if we sweeten the deal and offered you a weekend show of your own? And I'm sitting there like 22, market yeah. three. Yeah. So, Holy yeah. cow. And so I went in, uh, put together a little sizzle, sizzle reel and sent it to him and did the interview and I got the job and it gave me you know, a salary and benefits and the opportunity to stay in Chicago where my friends still were after school and start this career in broadcasting. And it was like this dream come true. And in some ways that job offer out of nowhere, like manna from heaven that I was never planning, was not pursuing, set me on the course where the decision was kind of made for me. Politics is the job. That type of commentary and analysis and journalism is the job. And sports is just something that I can still get excited about and passionate about and sometimes very disappointed by. (laughs) And I'm just just so glad that that's the way it worked out. I feel like this is my purpose. And I also love still having sports as like a passion point and a uniting thing because what I do here can be very divisive. I don't think I'm that divisive personally, but I am uh, just by definition. And it's nice to have a few things beyond that realm to talk to other people about where you can really connect with someone. Sports is an equalizer. And, you know, when your team does something awesome, you don't care who the person is next to you. You're going to high five them or hug them because you're united by this one thing. So that's a long answer to your question, but hopefully I'm it's I'm so glad I know the whole story. And it just for those anyone watching who's an aspiring broadcaster of any kind. It happens in a million different ways. Yep. There is no one track to a job. Just remember that it's just happens in a million different ways. I, I love your story. And it, it explains to me how you've been able to keep even keeled. You got that that ex- ability to express your political views very early. I did not. And 
you know, 9-11 was a, was a turning point for me too, Guy. And it was, um, I was still working in sports and I still wanted to work in sports. But about 2018, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Any, I couldn't keep my mouth shut anymore. And the one thing about working, particularly at a network level, is you cannot, you don't want to bring controversy of any kind to your, your property. And our property, Sunday Night Football, is the hottest property on, in primetime television. So there was a, a real... You know, look, we we know what you want to say, but can you just, you know, hold off? Right. And so anyway, so the long and short of it is uh, gave my notice in 2018, but it took several years to get rid of me. Um, so it, 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 you know, the COVID Super Bowl moving out a year, all these things kept me there. But um, I'm really happy to be able to now just talk to people like you. Totally. And Although, I mean, and- what what an unbelievable franchise to have been such a significant public facing part of for for as long as you did. I mean, again, not we're just like blowing smoke here at each other constantly, but because my buddies and I from school all did the sports casting thing together, there's a small tight knit group of us. We talk about sports broadcasting and broadcasters all the time. Yeah. And we notice little things more than I think the average. (laughs) And there was basically, unless I'm not misremembering this, there was a consensus within our group that of all the NFL broadcasts and different teams and, you know, graphic packages and just all the atmospherics, the gold standard was Sunday Night Football and NBC. Mm-hmm. It just was so excellently well done, which is not to take anything away from, you know, the Fox guys or the CBS right. guys or ESPN, right. anything like that. There was just something big time about NBC the the group of talent, even just like the music you guys were yep. doing. It just yep. it's just a fantastic viewer experience. Especially yeah. if it's not your team, you're just watching casually, so you're not yeah. invested. You're just like, this is a pleasure to watch. That's it's, it's it's really kind of gives me goosebumps to hear that because it's uh, this is my first year not going back to football in for thirty years. Is it weird? So it's 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 a little weird, but I am really enjoying being able to have conversations about other stuff and to to say how I feel. I have so many friends out there, guy, who are afraid to post things on Facebook, afraid to say things at work, afraid to engage in certain conversations with their friends and family. And I feel like, okay, I'll say it for you. I don't know if that makes it it sounds weird, but I, I, I want to give voice to these, these opinions and, and viewpoints that I think have been, quelled quite successfully here in the last decade. And so anyway, so having so now we've laid this great foundation of who you are, how you came to this. I love it. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about this whole January 6th Mar-a-Lago raid, what this has just done. Because it seems to me that the night that it happened, I sort of shook my head and said, okay, here we go again. But this thing has had a ripple effect that I really didn't expect more with Guy Benson right after this. Well, think back to November of last year. Since that time, the stock market has plummeted, but gold, gold has been on the rise. Gas prices are ah, insane as a word. The stock market is extremely volatile. Inflation is at what, about eight and a half percent right now. And we've got this war with Russia and Ukraine that is seemingly going to go on for a long time. The markets don't like instability. But the good news is you have options. 
Gold prices are rising as investors turn to gold for protection because gold provides a hedge against inflation and protects against a weakening dollar. Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust when investing in gold and silver. You need an investment that's going to protect your wealth in retirement. Call Legacy Precious Metals today. Be proactive while there's still time. Remember 2008? Those who invested in gold back then saw huge gains while others lost their retirements. Legacy Precious Metals can advise you on all of your options for investing in gold and silver, and you can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals. Grab a pen. Here's the number, 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, or download their free investment guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, guys. So the Mar-a-Lago raid, as it's come to be known now, and 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 its relationship to January sixth, to November elections, to the presidential election in twenty four, all of these things. What do you remember about your response, your immediate response to hearing that this raid, even though they don't want us to call it that, happened? Yeah, I mean, it was a raid. I don't know what else raid. you could call it. It was a raid. They were executing a search warrant. You can say that the search warrant. Uh, is overbroad. You could say this is overreach. Whatever you want to say or totally justified, it was a raid. Mm -hmm. And it was the FBI going into the home of the former president of the United States and carting away boxes of stuff for reasons unknown. And what has been really frustrating about this whole episode, just from my vantage point, you know, just to make this like a little bit myopic and selfish, um, but I think it goes to your question I was just on special report with Brett Bayer last week on Fox, and he was asking sort of different angles of the same question. And I finally just said it. It's really hard to come on national television and sound smart or incisive or, you know, um, insightful about something where we just don't know Mm-hmm. almost any of the underlying facts. Now, that was before we got the warrant. So the warrant gave us a few more pieces of information, but there's still so much speculation about what really is going on here, why they went in there. Was it really just about classified documents or materials? Were they even classified? Because the president could have declassified them when he was president. There's right. all that stuff. A lot of people are speculating, mm-hmm. no, this was a document chase or a fishing expedition related to the January 6th investigation. That seems plausible to me. What is disturbing to me about it, Michelle, without like coming at you with a hot take about, you know, whether Trump was the victim of the crime of the century 
or, you know, Trump's going to get indicted. I have no idea. Right. What I do know is that we've all just lived through six years of extreme political turbulence. A lot of it centered around this guy. Some of it he brings on himself. Some of it is visited upon him by other people. And I think one of the big things, and not just, you know, cards on the table, I'm a conservative. I'm not a Trump guy. That's that's how I've always been. I try to just like call balls and strikes. One of the one of the balls that I will call about the resistance and the media and the left in general, and it's a big one, it's ball four in a lot of <laughs> ways, uh, was Russiagate. Yeah. And you know, the collusion thing. Yeah. That thing, that whatever you want to call it, conspiracy theory, that allegation hung over the Trump presidency for years. And you had the media publishing these bombshell stories, you know, you know, Friday at five o'clock, here's another one, the old newspaper war, the Times and the Post back and forth, new, often unnamed sources alleging the next big thing and the walls are closing in and all this stuff. And it all fundamentally came down to the allegation that Trump and his team had colluded with the Russians to basically influence or steal the 2016 election, which went to the very like validity and legitimacy of Trump's presidency. Right. And they were going at that hammer and tongs day after day, month after month for years. And when all was said and done and we got the Mueller report, there was no collusion. And that is scandalous that yeah. that a lie rooted in a document that was paid for by the Democrats, as it turns out, Hillary Clinton and the DNC paid for the Steele dossier, which was unverified and or debunked in different ways. That served as the key cog in this whole wheel that was nonsense. So I'm not saying that Trump didn't do other significantly bad things. January 6th obviously comes to the forefront on that yeah. side. But I feel like we're going through deja vu, where we have a bunch of people spun up over Donald Trump with the FBI and the DOJ involved and these sources coming out and leaking certain things, but we still don't have a good picture. But surely they wouldn't have done this if there weren't something there. It just <laughs> feels very familiar. Yeah, which means it's hard to trust, right? Yes, there's, there is. This is not my initial thought. I'm not, this is not my original thought, but I think it's really true. There's this term, the unreliable narrator problem, where <laughs> I think average Americans sit here and wonder, who do I trust? Yeah. Whom do I trust? And I think in a lot of ways, Trump is not a reliable narrator. He has his own story that he wants to tell. And whether it's exactly scrupulously true and accurate all the time is almost immaterial to him. He's got his agenda. Fine. Then you've got the media and they've totally blown up any sense of objectivity. They're, they're basically proud of their bias. They feel like they're biased for America on yeah. behalf of America in favor of the truth as they see it against this one man wrecking ball. So they've, they've basically decided that they don't even have to hide the bias anymore. It's a good thing. So they're unreliable and they've proven that over and over again. Uh, and then you've got these these institutions, the FBI and the DOJ, and I'm not saying that they're rotten to the core. I'm not calling for defunding the FBI. I know some people are saying that. I'm not. Uh, but when it comes to Trump and the investigation of a political figure, and in this case, former president, based on the Russia thing, it's not crazy or conspiratorial for someone like me to say, you know what? I am not going to reflexively 
trust the FBI or the DOJ or what they're mm-hmm. telling us. And maybe in the past, I would have been more trusting of that sort of thing. But I think they've forfeited some of that trust by their no own question. actions. So we're left with Trump, media, DOJ, FBI, and I don't fully trust any of them. <laughs> and I think that's part of the reason why it's really hard to draw any solid conclusions about this yeah. thing, because any any one of them, any of those groups could be shading things or lying or, or spinning things for some sort of an agenda right. um, based on what we've all personally witnessed in the very recent past. It's not like this is ancient history. We just lived through it. Yeah. And now here we are again with something that, again, we don't know where it's going to play and, and how it's going to wind up. No idea. But I think the the impulse toward strong skepticism is fully warranted here. Yeah. And I think it's widespread. And I think that's how people feel. I, I, I would hope that's how people feel, because we've give as you've just beautifully detailed, we've been given every reason to doubt people, to be skeptical. Shoot. I remember during the whole Russiagate thing, people, smart people that I was around who were avid New York Times readers were just saying, I think, I think it's going to happen this week. I think Don Jr. is going to get thrown in jail this week. I think it's going to happen. And I remember thinking to myself, where are they, what are, where are they getting this? Like, I don't see it. So, you know, it's, it's amazing to me how much influence the New York Times had over that whole story. And, mm-hmm. and then people like Adam Schiff, now anytime he opens his mouth, I, I just don't listen because it's just, it, it, he's just put his cards on the table very clearly for everyone to see where he stands. What yeah. does this do, I wonder, Guy, to, <laughs> I, I thought Bill Maher had it a little bit right the other night when he said, you know, he's, he's really mad right now is Ron DeSantis. Because DeSantis had seemed to be getting this momentum toward 2024. And those who uh, on the conservative side were tired of Trump or a little bit suffering that quote unquote Trump exhaustion were thinking DeSantis has a lot of the same policies. He's strong. He's this, he's that maybe, you know, and there was this move. Is this too early in this whole election cycle to change things for Trump against DeSantis? There's an eternity left, right? Yeah, I think... First of all, it's weird how right Bill Maher is so often these days. It's like, whoa. I know. Like, I sort of like, I can't wait to see the video, you know, on Saturday morning, I'll wake up and I'm like, oh, you know, it'll hop on YouTube, see what he had to say last night. Yeah. Um, and good for him. I mean, I don't yeah. know if I agree with him still, but he's he's willing to push back hard against some of the pieties on the side that he's sort of been representing as a face for for many years. Right. And clearly, he does, like he is totally fearless about it. Um, so I, I like that. It's enjoyable to watch. The short answer is yes to your, to your actual question. Um, it's way too early. I mean, I don't, if we knew what this whole thing was actually about yeah. and how the string plays out, then you might be able to start playing these games and these parlor games and extrapolate. Okay. Because of this, you know, look, let's say it is really bad for Trump. Let's say there's something here that we don't really know. And we're right. going to find out eventually, and it's really bad. The whole thing could crumble on him, and you'd have a bunch of even Trump voters, two-time Trump voters, saying, this is so much baggage. Let's not go with this again. Yeah. Let's find someone new. And I think Ron DeSantis would be happily uh, sitting there, maybe considering a run and saying, all right, come to me. Um, now, if the whole thing turns out to be another sort of hyped-up hoax, 
uh, where where the government overreached and basically was persecuting Trump for not a legitimate reason, at least to go nuclear the way they have with a raid yeah. in his house. Uh, I think that will definitely, at least in the in the short term, and we're seeing it right now, benefit Trump, fire up a bunch of people. Yeah. And, and almost people might think, well, we have to set this right. And the only way we can beat back this machine is at the ballot box. And who better to do that with than the guy that they're clearly so afraid of? That would be the other mentality uh, at the other end of the spectrum. I just don't know where we're going to end up landing. Yeah. And it's also 2022. Like, I'm not yeah. sure how the midterms are going to go. I have some thoughts. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to go. 24 is a, is a ways off. Um, and, you know, I think that DeSantis definitely has a story to tell if he wants to run for president. I think that there are a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump. I actually, a couple of weeks ago on my radio show, GuyBensonShow.com, if people are interested. Um, <laughs> on my radio away. show, there was a story about how... Uh, Trump had given an interview where he was heavily hinting that he is going to run for president and that he might announce before the midterms. Right. So I read from the story. I gave some of my thoughts. Then I opened up the phone lines and we had every line full for like an hour. Mm -hmm. And my question was, do you want Trump to run again? And if so, should he announce before or after the midterms? And what was interesting was my audience, at least, was split exactly down the middle, 50 percent. And they were all Trump voters. I took calls from Trump voters. 50% of them wanted Trump to run again. 50% of them wanted to move on. And the word baggage came up over and over yeah. again. Yeah. DeSantis's name came up a number of times. 100% of them wanted Trump to at least wait until after the midterm elections yeah. because they wanted the midterms to be about Joe Biden and the Democrats and their failures and not anything else, let alone this. And yet here we have this raid. Trump's back front and center in the in the news and you can't avoid it it's a big news story but i'm not saying that the democrats orchestrated this for political gain what i will say is the democrats are thrilled that in the months leading up to an election that should be pretty bruising for them yeah we are talking a lot about donald trump and not as much as we would about joe biden and inflation and all the other stuff yeah it's it's going to be interesting when people actually go into that booth, what they will think about. But mm -hmm. I'm with you. I wish I, or I'm with your callers. I wish he wouldn't announce. And we're going to take one more break and, and talk about the border after it. But before we do, you know, the Liz Cheney thing was really interesting to me. And she's been the face of the January 6th committee. And it's amazing to me how people are either super indifferent to January 6th or utterly involved and think it's was the greatest threat to democracy our country has ever seen. How do you explain that, that polarization on that one issue? Is it as, is it as stark as I'm painting it to be? I, I it, that's my take on it. I think that there's a third category. So there's people who are still obsessed with it, right? Yeah. And like, it's the, the worst thing that ever happened. Um, comparisons to, 9-11 and Pearl Harbor yes. and stuff is crazy. Um, then there's people who I think are like really um, fired up on the other side and feel like it's another witch hunt or whatever yeah. against Trump. I happen to be like very critical of January 6th and put a lot of the blame on Donald Trump for what happened. He lost the election. He lied about it and people rioted and tried to stop the peaceful transferring of power, which is a sacred thing in America, or at least it should be. 
So yes. I've been very critical on that. And I, you know, I get blowback from that sometimes. It's fine. I can take it. I think there's a third category of people who, like me, I won't speak for you, but like me, watch. I was actually live on the air while the riot was happening. And I was almost doing, weirdly, a callback, like play-by-play of what I'm watching. <laughs> and it was just very disturbing. We had congressmen calling in, barricaded in their offices and that sort of thing. I think a lot of people were disgusted and embarrassed and horrified by what happened that day. Yeah. And I think a lot of people to this day said that was horrible. That should not happen. But they also aren't fixated on it anymore. And they're yeah. like, what What I felt very much applied. It was terrible. We know what happened. Like, we didn't necessarily need. It's fine to have an investigation and get every little piece of information. I, I'm fully for transparency. Fine. But I think at its core on a gut level, we all saw what happened in real time. We know what happened and basically why it happened. And years of recriminations and relitigation of it, I think for a lot of people is sort of exhausting. Like they know how they feel about it. And now they are thinking about other things and they can keep January 6th in mind if Trump runs for president again. They're also dealing with 8.5% inflation and, and food yeah. going up and up and up. And they just, I, they don't share the zeal of the media, the resistance-minded media to pay as much attention to the issue as I think many in the media and the Democratic Party would like them to. Yeah. Your perspective is interesting because of where you were and how you were experiencing it. I didn't see any of it live. I don't remember where I was, but I remember my son coming home and saying, mom, did you see this? This is horrible. This, you know, and I think I was on the Peloton bike or something. <laughs> Honest to God, I don't remember seeing any of it live. Um, but it, so, so you're, it's a really interesting contrast to how you experienced it, particularly with people calling in. That is, that's fascinating. Can I, and it, can I, it, this is your show and your interview. I'm just, I'm no, now go ahead. dying to know who are your favorite Peloton instructors? <laughs> I'm a big power zone rider. So I love Matt Wilpers. Matt Wilpers. Okay. Yep. Yep. Right. I love that whole group. Uh, you know, so I, I would probably have to say Matt, although his, his playlists are getting a little all over the map for me. I also am a big Dennis fan. What, are, who are you? Who do Dennis you like? Morton. So yep. I, I dabble in a bunch of people from time to time, but my yeah. go-tos are Cody Rigsby and Jen Sherman. Okay. Oh, that is interesting. I really like Jen. Like I, I'm determined to become friends with Jen Sherman somehow. I don't know how it's going to happen. I think she's, that could be easily done. She's from I think New that Jersey. Could be- she's, she's near where I grew up, I'm pretty sure. And like she plays a lot of Billy Joel, and I'm a huge Billy Joel fan. So I've DM'd her. Full disclosure, I've DM'd her on Instagram. You heard Nothing. back? She I, like not even left she, on red. She doesn't even look at my messages. It's sort of heartbreaking. But I love Peloton like saved me during COVID. Yeah. Um, and so yes. anyway, you it's, mentioned it and my ears perked up. I'm like, well, I love Cody. I love Cody. He he will make me laugh out loud on the bike, which is a lot of fun. It's funny. Jen, when she sings along, I want to scream. So that's why I avoid <laughs> Jen Sherman. But some of her classes are very challenging and she plays. She has great playlists. She does. I think I will. T- I'm going to find a way to connect you with and, Jen. And Sherman. she does that's football, my- football themed. Yeah, she does. Fall. She so. does those pregame rides. Yeah, yeah. she does. She yeah. does. They're hard. Uh, that is that they are hard. <laughs> Maybe that's what I really don't like about Jen Sherman. Is those really hard fourth quarter. Yeah, rides. you're screaming at the singing. Yeah. Uh, yes. Right. Well, you know, it's <laughs> we all have our little pet peeves. All right, the border. When we come back with Guy Benson. Oh, hey everyone. I 
had the privilege of seeing Uncle Tom 2, and it is simply remarkable. Pre-order it now. You'll save some money. Go to SalemNow.com, SalemNow.com. You want to see this. It unveils the Marxist strategy. I was skeptical. I've seen it. It's this Marxist strategy of creating false racial tension between Americans. Its ultimate goal, obtaining power, destroying capital, replacing God with government. I strongly encourage you to see it. Go to SalemNow.com. So I thought it was fascinating, Guy, that Elon Musk recently tweeted out something about, I can't believe what I'm seeing at the border. Why is there not more news coverage of this? Mm-hmm. I think is the gist of his tweet. I I am, um, look, I, I always say this because I want people to understand I'm Hispanic. My parents, uh, my dad, not my mom, but my dad is a first generation American. His parents came, you know, all the way through from his ancestors from Spain down through Peru, up through Mexico, the whole trek. So I appreciate it, but I think because of my dad's situation and the way he grew up and the fact that he was able to go from dirt poor to having a degree in engineering from the University of California, Berkeley, and raise four children in Manhattan Beach, California, he loved this country fiercely. And he instilled that in all of us. And I still feel that way. And I believe in the melting pot and I believe in immigration. I don't believe in an open border and I don't believe in illegal immigration. So having said all of that, what I see going on on the border, which really you only see through Bill Malusian at Fox News, mm-hmm. really, is astonishing to me. And I I thought one of the most amazing illustrations of it recently was the t- Texas, I think it was the, the, the Texas National Guard or the Texas State Police locking a fence. Mm-hmm to keep immigrants on the other side of the fence because it was private property they were protecting with this fence. And then the National Border Patrol agent coming and unlocking the fence, overriding them, and letting all these people cross into this private property. What is going on? And and, and am I the only, you know, who? why do more people not care about this? Or am I wrong? Do we all care? I think people intuitively understand something very bad is happening down there and it's out of control. I don't think that they quite understand the gravity and the scope of the problem because much of the media is more than happy to basically ignore it. Like you mentioned the exception being us at Fox and Bill Malugin is excellent. He's down there all the time. He feels I have him on my show regularly because it's like he's beating his head up against a brick wall trying to get this news out. And a lot of law enforcement people and, and border officials are right there with him. And a lot of people in the press are sympathetic to illegal immigration. They are completely gripped with identity politics and the obsession over that. They realize that the politics of this would be unhelpful to their team, the Democrats. They're Democrats. Let's just be honest about who they are. And so they just don't really cover it. In fact, the last time I remember a big media frenzy around the border, it was over the whipping smear of border agents. We, we had to wait until there was a lie told by the president of the United States at the expense of our officials for the media to care. And then they sort of did, as Rush Limbaugh used to say, their drive-by thing, like, yes. look at this racist whipping, and then they moved right on, even though it was a lie. And meanwhile, the, the crisis itself is 
raging. And you know, you did sort of your throat clearing explanation. Mine is throughout my career, I've sort of been kind of a moderate on immigration. I was always kind of the squishy rhino guy being like, well, I'm totally against illegal immigration. Let's prioritize enforcement, but I'm in favor of the DREAM Act. Let's do a DREAM Act and maybe not a path to citizenship, but what about a path to legalization? Like I I was open to some of this stuff. And I have to say, this crisis is radicalizing me in a way that I'm basically saying nothing, give them nothing, not a single political concession, stop the problem, secure the border, prove that it's secure for a while, and then maybe we can talk down the line. But like, exactly. I'm, I'm over. I'm like, I'm done with any of these other offers of amnesty or quasi-amnesty. The magnet is strong enough right now. And the magnet has been turned on by the Biden administration. Yes. The Trump administration actually had a successful policy. By the end, they had a few mistakes and, and, and problems along the way. But by the end, remain in Mexico, the safe third party agreements, they actually had pretty good relationship with some of these other countries. Um, they had a system that by and large was working pretty well. And Biden came in and of course got rid of all of it because you, it all. you can't, you can't keep anything Trump unless right. it's the Afghanistan withdrawal. And in which case you pretend your hands are tied and you, you can't do anything and blame Trump. It's sort of, they use that excuse selectively, but they got rid of these successful policies. The DHS department and Alejandro Mayorkas, who's a disgrace. A disgrace. He, he put out memos saying, if you are here illegally, and I'm paraphrasing, but if you are, if you've broken the law and you've violated our sovereignty, that is not enough to be deported. In fact, even if you commit and are convicted of these crimes, and there's whole categories of crimes, that's still not enough for you to get deported. And so, you know, illegal immigrants and the people that they pay the cartels to get here they pay attention to this stuff. And even though you'll occasionally have Kamala Harris show up in front of a camera for two seconds and say, do not come. Yeah. Alejandro Mayorkas will say, the border is closed. They know it's not true. They know that the reality is, if they get here, there's a very good chance, and I would now an increasing chance with Title 42 getting phased out and remain yeah. in Mexico gone, there's a very good chance they will get to come into the country. In fact, bust or flown to a city of their choice on taxpayer dime, mm-hmm. it's like the last leg of the human trafficking and smuggling we're doing for the cartels. It's wild. And then they'll be given some future court date. A lot of them will never show up and they'll never get deported, at least under the current deportation standards. Of co- Like, wouldn't you come? Like, I would Absolutely. do it. Absolutely. It's, it's, yes. And, and you know, it, it's amazing how people of color are still coming to the country that supposedly hates people of color. <laughs> right, exactly. No, that, and yeah. that's the other deep... Uh, I would say, irony of a lot of this and, and yeah. sort of the the dichotomy of rhetoric that we hear from some of our friends on the left. It's such a yeah. rotten, racist country, but also yeah. all these people of color let them in. Um, it, it doesn't quite make any sense. But no. look, I am sympathetic. Most people, the vast, vast majority of illegal immigrants just want to come here for a better life. Right. Um, they're not terrorists. They're not gang members. They're not cartel members. But some of them are. Right. Yeah. So so we can not smear an entire group of people while also not ignoring that there is a public safety and national security component to this. And even if you're just an otherwise law abiding person who wants to come here and earn more money and send it home, understandable, you know, I, I can relate to it. I empathize. It also doesn't give them the right to be here. We have a system and we have laws. And 
the fact that we just this week hit the 2 million mark on border encounters, 2 million in one year and counting. We have till the end of September, it's going to be, you know, 2.3, 2.4, something like that. I mean, last year's record was already an all-time record, 1.7 million. We've blown that away already. And people say, well, all these people getting arrested must mean that the border is secure. No, because they get (laughs) released in huge numbers. And also over the course of the Biden presidency, we are closing in on a million known gotaways, gotaways that we know snuck in, that we detected but couldn't stop. We have It's an unknowable group of other people that we have no idea are here illegally, but we're getting close to a million of them, a million in two years. That is uncontrolled, unsecured border. It is deeply unfair to people who come the right way or want to. It is a joke when it comes to our national sovereignty and the rule of law. And it is also dangerous because there are bad people who want to come in taking advantage of this. And they know exactly a lot of them want to get caught. So they get processed and released. Some of them don't. And the fact that our people are so overwhelmed, it makes it a lot easier for dangerous people to show up and fentanyl and all this stuff. It is, it is an absolute debacle. And as I said, like I'm sort of now this radical border hawk because Uh, they've made me one by their negligence, their deliberate negligence. It is deliberate, and it's it's. There's no other way to describe it than way, the what you've just done, and you can think about their motives and everything else about it. The bottom line is public safety um, is is at, at risk. We are all border states because it will come to your state eventually. And just the law should matter, right? That like the law. The law of should, our matter. should matter, and, and it mattered. And and for those like you mentioned who abided by that law and came in legally and took all the proper steps and went and got, did everything, checked every box they yep. needed to check in order to be here legally. I can't imagine their frustration. No, um, and like, and they've got, you know, and, and I'll just make one other quick point to tie in another recent event. They've just doubled the size of the IRS, right? 87,000 exactly. people. They are going to, and I know they've, they're claiming it won't affect anyone who's not rich. That's just not true. It's right. They had a chance to vote to keep that promise, and the Democrats voted it down. CBO has said, no, there are going to be a lot of people getting audited. They are going to comb through your life. Just average middle-class Americans, they're going to come through and make your life a living hell through an audit process and comb through every little piece of scrap of paper that you've got to enforce the law to make sure that they are getting their chunk of your money exactly to the letter. That's the same federal government that's basically just sitting there and being like, Laws don't matter on immigration. Come on in. We'll figure it Come out. Come on in. That is outrageous. It is it, infuriating the way that they treat Americans and and the standards on this one area over here versus the lack of standards with not only non-citizens, but people who have no right to be here. I mean, of course, there's going to be a lot of resentment over that. And of yeah. course, the media is ignoring it because the more attention it gets, the more likely that there'll be some accountability for it uh, yeah. at the ballot box. And they don't want that. And so it's, no, they don't. It's they Trump, don't want that. Trump, Trump, Trump all the time in the winning streak for Joe Biden and anything else that doesn't fit the narrative is sort of shunted off to the side or completely ignored. See why I call this show sideline sanity. And I have people like, like Guy Benson on it's because he's sane. It's, 
I, I, I am, like I said, I appreciate you coming on so much. I, I love what you've said here today. I hope people listen and I hope people go to your show. What is it? Guy Benson.com or Guy Benson Radio? Guy Benson Show.com. Guy Benson Show.com. Three to six Eastern. It's a national radio show. It also becomes a podcast. A lot of our younger viewers wait and it's a podcast when the show's over. Uh, It's free. And it's through Fox, and I do all my Fox TV stuff as well. They keep me busy, but it's it's it, an that's honor a good to have thing. a platform. And it's and a good thing you. for all of us that you do. Well, that's kind of you to say. And it's I was so excited when you you DM'd me, and you were like, <laughs> "Hey, do you want to come on this podcast?" And I was like, "Yeah." In fact, Aww. in fact, a few years ago, I want to say like 2016 ish, you liked a few of my political tweets. And I noticed, I'm like, oh, I see you, girl. I think I think I know what's up with Michelle Tafoya right now. And now here we are having this conversation, and it's it's awesome. And I hope we get to do it again. I hope so too. I would love to have you back. And uh, I think my, my brother, show, sure. met, I, I would be happy to. I'd love to. I think my brother met you at a book signing, and he said, "Hey, you know, Guy Benson knows who you are." And I'm like, "Really?" So it's it's a very funny thing. Um, I appreciate it. He, he is Guy Benson. GuyBensonShow.com. Check it out. This has been Sideline Sanity. I'm Michelle Tafoya. Be brave. Do good. And go to the GuyBensonShow.com. Well, we always appreciate it when Charles Thorngren can join the join the podcast and talk a little money and gold in particular with us, gold and silver. And Charles, it's, these are mad times. I mean, it's just really wacky. And anyone who's watching the stock market is probably asking themselves, what do I do? I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm not, I don't know how to ride this roller coaster with everyone. And so obviously you recommend investing in precious metals. What's the first step that someone should take in learning about what precious metals can do for them? You know, the, the first step, um, give us a call, right? We're, we're going to show you what options there are available. Um, that's what Legacy is about, is showing you options and educating everyone. The important thing to know is that we don't invest in gold and silver because it's pretty or because it's it's unique. Those things are true, but we do it because it has the history of being the true diversity for someone's portfolio. It's the insurance policy against everyone's retirement and their uh, their savings. So, so this is why we look at, at gold and silver specifically. It's the currency that was always meant to be, right? It's not a fiat currency. There's no um, inflationary effect on it. Gold and silver are going to be worth what they're worth. The thing that changes with everything is the amount of dollars it takes to buy that gold and silver and the amount of dollars you get for owning that gold and silver. That's the big key. And this is what people don't understand about it typically is that it is not the stock market and it is not the dollar. It's an investment that is counter to both of those. So it gives you true diversity and balance is what everyone's looking for right now. They just don't know it as inflation gets higher this is where gold and silver come in. Someone is saying, okay, I, I want to do this, but I want to choose one or the other. When right. they call you and ask you these questions, when would you recommend gold and when would you recommend silver? You know, that's a great question. And what a lot of people wind up doing is actually doing a little of both because that's possible, right? 
but it's going to depend on your specific investment parameters. And that's one of the things we're going to do that we're, we're different from your typical stockbroker because we're not going to say, this is what all my customers are doing because that's not what's important. What's important is what matters to you and your portfolio. When is your retirement coming up? What are you looking to accomplish, right? What are your risks? What are, what, are your, what are your safety features that you need? So there's a lot that goes into it. And what we do here is, is talk with you, right? Our, our big thing is to educate you so that you understand why you're doing it as well as in what form and fashion, because that's important. It is important. And I think, too, that people probably think uh, I'm a small investor. This is not for me. I can't I can't afford to do this. I can't afford to do this at a level that will benefit me to them. You would say what? Um, I don't think you can afford not to. If you have money saved and you're not flush with cash, it's more important than ever for you to make sure that you put yourself in a protective situation. Right. You have less to lose. So you should not lose it. It's, it's really, you know, it's, it's not about how much money you have or don't have. It's about how much protection you need. And if you don't have a, a very large portfolio, then you probably need it more than the guy who does. Because you can't afford that loss. And look at what the market's done over the course of the year. We are talking about a situation where the loss is extravagant and it's not done yet. This is why we look at uh, precious metals to counter that. And lastly, Charles, for those who fear that a recession may already be here or is coming, what do you tell them about how in a recession this investment helps out? Great question. A um, couple answers there. We are in a recession. Um, but the reality is it's not going to get bad for a few more months. Then it's really going to be bad. What we see happen next year is going to be devastating. Just think 2007, 2008, right? The troubles with 2008 happened in 2007. It just took time for it to hit the market in a real sense. And this is what we see. You know, we have inflationary numbers that rival the 80s. Um, that's something that's going to be dramatic. So, when we look at this, we say, why do we want to do it? And that's exactly why. It helps because it's not the dollar and it's not the stock market, right? This is the safe haven investment. And if you look at long-term wisdom, that's what metals do. They give you a place to store your wealth without the effects of inflation, right? Inflation is good for your metals. The stock market correcting is good for your metals, a weak economy is better for your metals. So that's what it's meant to do. And that's why it has its place in the economy. We're talking about a worst case scenario right now. But even under the best of terms, the government tells you 2 to 3% inflation is a good thing. And at 2 to 3%, it doesn't sound bad, right? But over the course of your retirement and your lifetime investing, if you go 40 years, you've lost over 120% of value of your dollar. By not having metals. So even in the best of times, there should be some in your portfolio. And during the worst, you really want to make sure you get a hold of somebody who can explain why and show you what options you have. Yeah, that's why we love to recommend Legacy Precious Metals on our show, Sideline Sanity. So the website is LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. 
You can also go to the website and find the phone number to call, learn a whole lot more. It's just worth asking some questions, right? A quick phone call and getting more information about everyone's specific situation. Absolutely. We're a no-pressure organization. Everyone who contacts us, they reach out to us. We share information. If it's right for you, great. If it's not, that's great too. Learning something never hurt anybody. No, that is true. And we're glad we had you on to learn something from you today, Charles Thorngren. Again, it's LegacyPMInvestments.com. Please go check them out. Just ask some questions. Learn a little something. Thank you so much, Charles. My pleasure. Thank you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.